You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 544, Anger, Alcohol, Football and Wayne Rooney, Romance in 2022, Digital Playlist versus Mixtapes and The Alluring Addiction of Soap Operas. That's all coming up after Idle Wild and You Held the World in Your Arms. of hit albums and singles over nearly 25 years this is their highest charting single to date number nine in the uk in 2002 Idlewild, and you hold the world in your arms i love Idlewild. i loved them as a sort of a as a youth um i saw them when they were touring that album the remote part at university and very much enjoyed it not least because they had sons and daughters as their supporting act and i believe that roddy roddy Woomble, that is his real name the lead singer of Idlewild. It's a great name isn't it it is brilliant went on to marry one of sons and daughters i think so uh, so i like the idea of of having seen them on that tour no i love idle wild they've always been a really big band for me as a young person and i still in fact today you might have plonked this thought in my mm-hmm. subconscious by reading the uh, reading the menu was shopping in brighton for records today and bought two idle wild seven inch singles so uh, so yes big big mm-hmm. fan of idle wild here Hello and welcome to the Parish Council. It's episode 544. I'm Terence Dackham 
And of course, it's the question everyone is asking. Is she going to be the next commissioner for the Metropolitan Police? <laughs> Let's ask her. It's Juliet Harris. You know, they had there's a, a scene in The Simpsons where Homer lists the jobs that he's had. And during the time that he lists it, the, fa- the rest of the family go in and out and they complete various household tasks and it goes on and on and on. If we did a list of the jobs or positions in society that you speculated over <laughs> me having when you introduced me on the podcast each week, we would still be here next week, I suspect. I've been all sorts of things, none of which I'm qualified for, though let's say it doesn't seem to hold some people back. Well, it, it, but, but you, you in, couldn't do a worse job some might say some, some might say. say i couldn't confirm or deny <laughs> anyway hi everyone not a not a regular concept that we feature a documentary <laughs> about a footballer but these days <laughs> footballers are often icons i suppose especially for younger people on a parallel with rock stars and they're, cert- they're certainly more visible obliged as the, they are to appear a couple of times each week um, and in the Premier League, their exploits, sporting or otherwise, mm-hmm. are transmitted all around the world. As a 16-year-old, Wayne Rooney was already regularly playing for Everton and at 17 became the youngest player to appear for the England national team. He's still the record goalscorer for both Manchester United and the England team. Mm. It's not a good thing for Wayne to be unsupervised, says Colin <laughs> Rooney in a documentary released this week on Amazon Prime Video. Indeed, it was released this very day that we're recording. Jules, having watched this video, um, uh, this documentary, did you learn anything new about Wayne Rooney? Now, that's the big question, isn't it, really? And this is, uh, first, I'm going to uh, lean into the, my issue that, uh, well, the issue that we often, I think, we talked about on the podcast, but whenever we talk about authorised biographies, mm. You know, if the person whose life it is has a large hand in the telling of the story, yeah. how how honest a story do you get? How even if they're not deliberately trying to be dishonest, how dispassionate can somebody be about their own life? It takes a lot of bravery to have someone else tell your life story. And that is a big, scary thing. I do get that. But if you, it makes me wonder, why are you keeping control over your own life story? Is it because you're genuinely quite a shy person and you don't want to open up to someone else or is it because you've done some bad things and you quite want to sweep those under the carpet and this documentary was an interesting one at first I thought I was going to absolutely hate it with the introduction and the portentous music and Wayne Rooney in a hood punching a punch bag I thought oh I can't believe I've got to sit through an hour and a, hour and 44 minutes of this thanks Sir T but actually it did settle down I, I mean my friend Tim often damns things with say, with faint praise where you play a record and he goes, well, I didn't hate it. And I think I feel the same way about this documentary. It wasn't the best thing I've ever seen. It wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen. I don't know how much more we learned that was new. Wayne and Colleen Rooney were in it and they talked about some of the uh, mistakes that Wayne Rooney has made in his private life. And I, I liked him more than I thought I would, actually. I thought he seemed like quite a down-to-earth bloke. And it was very clear that he came from a very, very ordinary background. And and that that is to be applauded, I think. We had some great footage of... Um, his um his sort of various exploits over the years it made me remember what a good player he was really and how there was always that sort of narrative that he didn't do well at big tournaments he although to be fair he had rather an unlucky run with injuries there were some good pundits on this i thought the the contributions of the sports writers were quite good i quite enjoyed Sven Goran Eriksson actually his um comments at the end of the press conference after Rooney got sent off in 2006 were very very shrewd i thought Mm. about telling you know telling people you know do not tear this person apart he's the future of english football it showed how unpleasant aspects of the tabloid press are as well i think really they they came out of it not great having said that there wasn't a lot of depth to this it didn't they didn't the, the interviewers didn't really make things uncomfortable for wayne rooney and some of the things in his in his private life and i was very interested by what he said he was very keen to draw a distinction between quote unquote who i am that 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 phrase we hear so much in the mm. public apology this is not who i am <laughs> and the things that he's done as if they're two completely divorced mm. concepts that do not that cannot exist together at the same time, and anyone can make mistakes. And and wait, and Colleen Rooney came across as quite wise on that. Really, she seems to have, for all she's portrayed as a wag in the press, I was quietly impressed by her. I thought she had a, an old head on on young shoulders. Mm. But 
I don't know. I, I this felt a little bit like things were being a bit brushed around under the carpet. It was a good. It, it was a good. Um, it was good. It was a compelling case for how Wayne Rooney is somehow weirdly underappreciated in terms of how good he is as a footballer. Maybe because he showed such insane promise at the start of his career that anything would feel like an anti anything less than world domination would feel like an anti climax afterwards. I don't know. Um, but. In terms of sort of discovering him as a person, I don't miss at all unpleasantly, but maybe there isn't that much to discover. Maybe he's just a fairly low-key guy. In lots of ways, he did seem like a low-key guy, but there was just something about it that didn't that didn't scream death to me about this. As much as I did actually enjoy it, it passed the time, I enjoyed it, I'm glad I watched it, but it's not something I would return to, I don't think. Yes, I'm, I'm thinking I'm with you a long way along there because, I mean, yeah, it did deal with some awkward questions about Wayne Rooney's private life, but when, when, when he's gone off the rails, but it listed, it, Paul Stretford was listed as an executive producer yeah, and Stretford has been Rooney's agent for seven, 17 years. So there was, as you say, a degree of airbrushing. Um, yeah, you mentioned this. If you, you know, if you if you, um, if you watch this documentary, we won't be able to. You won't be able to miss the absurdly dramatic opening mm. that you know you mentioned. Yours, Wayne Rooney in a garage bashing a punch bag yes. to a soundtrack of completely incongruous <laughs> choral church music. It sounded like, and also monastic chanting. I thought. Yes, I it was most peculiar. Point. Rooney expresses in. A, in a sort of ang- anguished way, I think that's the word, he's anguished that he might be remembered for his follies rather than, as you say, the honest person he's trying to claim to yes. be. And there was a bit more anguish when we saw his unusually dressed mother and his taciturn father as there was this recollection, awkward recollection of Rooney being hit by his father when he was a child, mm-hmm. gave him a slap was the phrase. And, you know, I'm no big fan of, um, you know, violence against children. And I, yes. I thought that was a particularly, uh, it was a sort of unaddressed and awkward. Mm. Um, stories of his past off the field uh, were largely negative, despite this being an in-house production. But we did have that airbrushing, as I say. His, his pre-teenage and then teenage years seemed to involve an awful lot of physical fighting. Yes, in I was quite shocked by that. And bars and on the street. He describes he described himself then as a bit of a loose cannon. Mm. And whilst he appeared, I suppose, naturally, to be totally unprepared for fame at 16. He also, and I, I really didn't like this bit at all, this made me feel very uneasy, he seemed to be worldly wise enough to have some gris, grim, bizarre sense of pride to this day that he deliberately wore these metal studs. Yes, that was dis- horrid. Yeah, designed to injure John Terry of Chelsea, which he succeeded in doing. And I was surprised that not only did he say that in such a sort of gung-ho way mm. in the modern way, but it was left in. Um, yes. but much of the pressure I felt that he, he has been under has been self-engineered. He said, mm. he said he felt when he was 18 that he, he felt then that he was the best player in the world, which is an odd statement as well, you know, I was sitting as he sitting down. He said it, and I thought, well, I could scribble down ten players, contemporary that mm-hmm. time that I would have said were, you know, a mile ahead of Wayne Rooney in terms of, of, of talent and achievement. But all in all, a peculiar film, mm-hmm. way too long. Again, I always say yeah, that I felt it was repetitive, different people saying the same things. Yes, but worth watching if you love football. Or Wayne Rooney, of course. Absolutely. And perhaps my favourite pundit contribution. I I have to say, the more that tangles on, the more that I enjoy Gary Neville's blunt contributions mm. to public life. And his, well, like you say, this strange logic that was around violence. He said he never knew him to be violent. Yes, he threw a few punches, but he didn't count that as violence because he never hit anybody that didn't deserve it. I didn't, and I that didn't was, warm that was, to that particularly, I'm No, afraid. that I, was extremely, I, I, it was, it was, I was amused by it because it was so odd really Mm. it was it was a yeah like you say a strange documentary that I sort of liked and sort of hated at the same time 
So if you would like to watch this, it's called Rooney and it's available from today, the 11th of February 2022 on Amazon Prime. And just well, before we, I'm sorry, I know you've done the let's finish this bit now, but just another interesting thing. He's given a press interview about this right. uh, that has quoted him, how he used to drink a lot and was basically had real mm. problems with alcohol. That didn't appear in the film. Oh, that's interesting. So, so yeah. that because I was waiting for that to come up in the yeah. film, and Colleen made her comment about how he shouldn't be unsupervised around alcohol. Yeah. Bad yeah. But he's made comments in the press about how he used to drink a lot. But he used to be by himself and he used to drink a lot to kind of forget and deal with stress. But interestingly, when you say the film was airbrushed, well, that wasn't in the film. So, oh, yeah, so there yeah. we are. Okay. Coming next, the place of love songs in dating and breakups. That's right after Divine Comedy. Pale, pubescent beasts Roam through the streets And coffee shops Their prey gather in herds The stiff knee-length skirts And white ankle socks But while they search for a mate My type hibernate In bedrooms above Composing their songs of love Young uniform lines In uniform lines And uniform ties Run around with trousers on fire And signs of desire They cannot disguise While I try to find words as light as the birds in that circle above To put in my song of love Fate doesn't hang on a wrong or right choice Fortune depends on the tone of your voice Sunshine down from above and fill you with songs of love. be honest there's quite a lot of songs through history i wished i'd written um i have written some songs but i would rather have written others i must admit and this is one of the ones that i really would love to have written because it just the song um the song itself the the music and the lyrics i think have such a logic to them and i think it's it's neil hannon is so talented and i think really undersung in terms of how talented he is in the pantheon of british songwriters i feel the divine comedy should be loved much more than they are and that is you might know the tune is the theme tune to father ted but that with a, a lovely lyric over the top of it is songs of love by the divine comedy that track has a wonderful pastoral rural mm. feel to me it's all august and hay bales and yeah. tablecloths yes yeah, it's, it uh, it's a lovely rural track it is 
Um, Jules, in a moment of mystery this week, I asked you to give a little thought to considering some of your favourite love songs, but I didn't tell you why. And now I shall reveal all. Mm. This week, the Daily Telegraph put together a batch of their writers to compile, no Googling, the 100 best love songs of all time. My goodness. Now, we know that such lists are subjective and so on. Mm. But I think I could give you from now until the end of 2022 to sit there and give me guesses as to what is number one on the Telegraph's list. And I suspect we would still be waiting for you to guess the right answer. Um in fact, I doubt whether you would guess any of the top five in mm-hmm. the Telegraph 100 Best Love Songs of All Time ah, if I give you 12 months to keep guessing. So just for the lols and bants, just give me a handful of guesses towards the best love songs of all time, according to the Daily Telegraph. Well, I think I'm going to have a guess at a song which is always used for weddings with by people that have not listened to the words um, i'm gonna say the one i love by rem which everyone wants at their wedding and includes the line a simple prop to occupy my time not in there oh that doesn't your next guess please I'll, I'll, um, give you, I'll give you the top five in a minute but just see if you can get just have a go let's try um let's try a beatles song let's try something not there ah okay any more um, guesses please Something by Frank Sinatra. Nothing by Frank. Oh dear, nothing by Mr. Old Blue Eyes. Um, I um, I mean, when I looked, made a list of my favourite love songs, hmm. most of them seem to be about breakups, which made me maybe realise maybe hmm. that speaks about something that's going on in my own life. I don't know. Um, uh, Shall I tell you them? Yeah, go on. Tell me. Tell me. One of them I've never heard of. Right. Maybe I'm way out of touch. Um, but this is at number five: Heartbeats and the Knife. Ah, now that is a very so so you may have heard it because it's it was covered by a chap called Jose Gonzalez for a Sony Bravia at Bravia advert for TVs uh, and um he covered it acoustically and weirdly that version launched his career and he was okay. that was more known in that in that context than the night Num- number 4 in the Telegraph's mm. top 100 love songs of all time the yeah. Lars there she goes a song about um, heroin, I believe. So I believe. <laughs> Number three, I kind of give this to them, but it was in the top five. Billy Joel, Always a Woman. Oh, I find that a bit ick, I must it? admit. It's a, um, yeah, anyway. Number two, Nora Jones, Come Away With Me. I mean, I really like the Nora Jones. Would you have it in the top five? No, I wouldn't have it in my top five of her, her best songs. No, exactly. find the best love songs of all time. And now the big one, mm. as I say, I think we could still be sitting here in December and I'd be saying, <laughs> no, Jules, try again. And now it's time for the Christmas songs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Number one, Bob Dylan, Lay, Lady, Lay, the best love song of all time. I mean, is this written by someone that has bought one of those best love songs ever <laughs> CDs and just written it out? As I, compiled I, by Jeremy Clarkson and you buy it in a garage. I, I was going to say, well, this is Steve Wright's Sunday morning love songs, isn't it? I mean, no offence to the great broadcaster, but uh, yeah. It was, a, I, it was a bunch of Daily Telegraph writers that got together and compiled the top hundred. It's well worth Googling, everybody, if you want to. <laughs> it's, it's inexplicable. The whole hundred is just as inexplicable. And you think oh let's see this is going to be in the top 10 and whatever you think it is it's not it's there not that is really it's strange really yes. peculiar, uh, my favorite love songs are about the end of love so i kept thinking when i thought of the songs i suppose if you're writing about love the ending of love is also part of love i guess and i i kept coming up with things like by, like x factor by lauren hill and uh and uh um action man by uh by those dancing days which uh, in which a woman explains that that she will always be fond of this man but he's not her action man anymore um those are the those are the songs that seem to seem to sort of uh, seem to prick me i must admit although i am surprised that something is not there because that is a glorious song i think well finding love or just arranging a date has become far more complicated of course in the age of the internet um the the internet was supposed to make everything much more simple but in many ways it's made everything far more complicated um dating apps match people with algorithms and software sort of nuances don't they a generation ago it was a bit of a thing to do to put together a music tape and we didn't call them a mixtape in my day you might say a compilation tape of 
favourite tracks to either impress or help win over the heart mm. of the girl or bloke that had taken your fancy. Yes. And it took a bit of effort in those days, queuing up records and recording them onto a cassette tape in real time. And I wasn't sure if making compilations for a prospective partner still goes on in our digital age. Do people make up lists on Spotify for their love interests? And George, you've been sort of investigating, looking into this. Yes, this rather entertaining story in the uh, by L Hunt in The Guardian. Um, like you say, making the point that in, in the digital age, the mixtape, the tried and tested ritual and I you know I've made many tapes and many people sometimes friends sometimes people I'd like to be more than friends and I've had a variable levels of success with that but I, I love a mixtape and particularly a tape as well because it takes such an effort mm. to put it together um you know even a CD and I still I still do make I make some Spotify playlists for my friend as well but um I made a, a Spotify playlist for my a good friend of mine's birthday where I spelled I the beginning the first letter of each track spelt out her name in full as you read down it was nice to be able to oh, do that's, that that's a good thing it's sweet isn't it um and L Hunt says is talking here about them you we know we have our, our gallery of rogues of terrible people that somehow become our friends um Logan Paul Zoella, Thatcher yeah. Wine, the book curator, all these crazy people that we have to talk about. We've got a new one for you, Terence. Oh, lovely. West Elm Caleb, which sounds like a sort of a rehab facility, but it is in fact a, a man, a 20-something oh. New Yorker who works at a furniture store and has gained, as she puts it, online infamy for his poor dating behaviour. And oh basically dear. a group of women who met Caleb by dating acts and then con- have, that have managed to basically connected with each other on oh TikTok. Lord. The world happens on TikTok now. And they've accused him of ignoring messages, recycling chat-up lines, oh. sleeping with one shortly before going on a date with another and oh. sending unsolicited nudes. But the worst sin of all, Terence, of all of these, was that he one of the claims against him was he sent at least two different women the same Spotify playlist. Oh, dear. A they, terrible faux pas. It, to have been personalised. And it's basically now being circulated. So someone found Caleb's personalised, West Elm Caleb's <laughs> personalised mixtape, which is not a bad name for a band, actually, West Elm Caleb's personalised mixtape. <laughs> or some kind of terrible adult, car- a lot of those rubbishy cartoons that E4 shows, like Rick and Morty. Anyway, um, it's, it's, it's made some good points here that, that the romantic power of music means that this has been singled out as a transgression. And it's a great way of... Um, expressing your feelings for someone and uh, interestingly um the dating app bumble asked users to send a bespoke mixtape to a match based on its survey that found that 59 percent of people believe music to be the most most romantic way of expressing their feelings another Mm -hmm. survey by okcupid another dating site last year found there were almost five million mentions of music on users dating profiles Mm -hmm. 37 percent of daters surveyed said they would prefer their partner to be into music over movies books or sports and there's a new app called the pom which stands for power of music which claims to pair users on the basis of their listening history now part of me again is well who are we giving our data to who are they for what purpose <laughs> this is this is like that eric alperman that always puts those surveys online you know those tweets of oh what's this and what's that and people go who is eric alper and what is he doing with all this information and there's a <laughs> lovely bit in this article where l goes through his dating list to see if she his uh, playlist to see if she would fall for West Elm Caleb too. Um, it's very what's described as soft boy, really. Um, it's 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 a strange old story. Um, it's she's put here that um that uh, today's dating apps conflate the two. Um, okay, okay, Cupid's survey found that one in three singles believe musical preference to be a good indicator of intelligence. We're going back to the days of high fidelity here. As she puts it, no wonder Caleb opted to hedge his bets. The overall impression from his playlist is of warm guitar tones and soulful vocalists. It communicates accessible, pitchfork friendly call cool without saying much about sender or receiver, let alone who they are to each other. I showed it to my friend. Wait, she said, horror mounting. I've dated this man. We checked. She hadn't. But um but yeah, mm-hmm. there's there's something there's something about the mixtape that's always a slightly if if you're making one for someone you're trying to woo and you don't know them very well, you're it's a, I found it a difficult balance because what you're effectively trying to do is to show off. Let's be let's be real here. You're mm. trying to show off. But 
also, when I was doing it, yes, I'm trying to show off what great taste I have, but I'm also trying to think about what people might like. What mm. does this person, what music does this person like? You're trying to, in, you're trying to engage with what someone likes and showing yourself at the same time, which I suppose is is dating in a nutshell, isn't it? Early dating. So, so I think the mixtape. I'm glad to see that the spot that spotted that Spotify mixtape and playlist still exists in an age mm. of non-physical data. However, be careful. You don't want to be like like uh, like West Kdeb. Well, luckily, I'm not in a position to be seeking new adventures in love. Mm. But I I can't help but feeling there is a there is far less romance in spending 10 minutes selecting a dozen digital yes. tracks on spotify than there was in filling up that c90 cassette and carefully labeling all the tracks it, for the I girl mean, it, of it, your it dreams it takes about three hours to put together a mixtape mm. 90 minutes and it's a real labor of love yeah yeah now of course if music is oh it's the food of love in fact a major ingredient to the to the growth of a relationship if you're given the boot by your love interest as mm. you alluded to earlier then hearing those songs can become I guess a tearful, regretful experience, bringing only heartbreaking memories of happier times. But I think it's equally possible to equate music to that breakup period. Back in the year 2000, when a woman from Yorkshire considered life would be profoundly better for her if she moved out back to Yorkshire rather than live with me. I know, what, what was she thinking? I know, but she took a look at a lot of the furniture with her and I spent the autumn of 2000 sitting on the living room floor listening to Coldplay's <laughs> first album. And whenever I hear it now, it can immediately transport me back in time to the feelings I had. I can even sort of feel myself sitting on that floor in a confusing and strange time in my life. So, I mean, do you think music can be a comfort during a breakup? Yes, I think it can, actually. And I, I will tell a personal story, as you have with your with your terrible ex-person. I will, I will tell a story as well. Um, I, I'm not sure if we've ever discussed this properly on the podcast, but I, I'm happy to do so. I, I think I can do it in a sensible way. Um, so my relationship that I had been in ended during April 2020 in the sort of depths of the first lockdown. And it was a it was a, a surprise and a shock to me the way that it, that it ended. But um, but. And and it was a quite a sudden ending, and I didn't. It felt like a very senseless time. My my dad was unwell at the time, and I was furloughed from my then job. And it was it lots of big things were happening. Whilst like everybody in Britain, or most people in Britain who weren't taking suitcases of wine into number ten, um, was not really doing anything at that time. And it felt very strange, and I couldn't really make sense of what was happening. And I knew that things weren't necessarily that well in my relationship, but it's, you know, it's difficult when it, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't quite piece together what had happened. And when I was um, washing up and had my headphones on and, and sort of had shuffle on, um, I heard Stone Milker by Bjork, which is a, a really stunning song. Um, and one that I hadn't really taken much time to listen to the lyrics. And it turns out it was written about her divorce from her husband. Oh. And uh, she it was basically it's a song about about how strange it is when you're in a relationship with someone that has stopped engaging with you and the chorus was it's just like milking a stone hence why it's called stone milker and mm. and i think sometimes songs like that can help us make it certainly helped me make sense or sort of a given name to some of the things that have been happening and were happening and and so i think that music it can make us feel better. We can listen to uh, so many teenage people that were teenagers at, at my at my age have sobbed cathartically to Never Ever by All Saints. Never ever have I ever felt so low as a fourteen year old. But um, but I think I think the music can trigger all sorts of emotions in it. The lyrics can of songs can help us make sense of the world. We can sometimes have a shouty, cathartic moments. My friend, whenever she broke up with someone, always used to play Caught Out There by Khalees, which has its memorable chorus of I hate you so much right now that it screamed. <laughs> that always seemed to do the trick well. And I can I can see why you would why you would find that useful. There are lots of um there are lots of X Fact by Lauren Hill has amazing lyrics that I think always always uh, it's a very sensitive and an interesting approach of why relationships break down i think if people sing about their own pain 
sometimes we can see we can see parallels from our own lives in that and it is sometimes nice to be able to feel that you're not the only one that is going through this this you're not the only one that has experienced these difficult times and these difficult emotions and and you know and, and the and the ways that people relate to each other you could argue that there are as many different relationships in the world as there are people that have relationships but there are common tropes there are common patterns and sometimes it's it's just a comfort to know that even if you are, you know, feeling bad and feeling embarrassed and feeling frustrated that something has broken down, it's happened to everyone else. And lots of people wrote really good songs about it. So I think it does. Ha- I think that they do have a role, whether it's um, whether it's, you know, weeping to James Taylor or screaming along to Eminem. I think there's a, there's something out there for everyone. Yes. Yes. I think in terms of forming, being in a relationship or the or the breaking up of a relationship. It doesn't necessarily have to be love songs that have an impact. I think almost any song mm. or collection of songs can immediately take you back and place you emotionally, pinpoint you into that yes. time in your life. It's a Music's got a special place for feelings and emotions, mm. I think. Well, well said, I agree. Coming right up, soap operas, opium <laughs> for the masses or modern day Shakespeare. Okay, speaking of my relationships, <laughs> it's time to talk about soap operas. Yeah. That's next after this gorgeous track from Mull Historical Society. <laughs> you need 
such a lovely track from the mm. Scottish musician Colin McIntyre under the name Mull Historical Society. He's got that he's got that um, Todd Rundgren, mm-hmm. Andy Partridge, Colin Moulding, Daniel Wiley knack of writing reel you in melodic pop songs. Mm. This was a single from the album City Awakenings in 2012, mm. Mull Historical Society and The Lights. Interesting. It's interesting that you've picked a Mull Historical Society track to come out of that topic that we've just been speaking about because Mull Historical Society, to me, will always remind me of the song Watching Xanadu, which has taken no. lost their album in 2001. I love Mull Historical Society, by the way. I think you're completely right in what you say about them. And I made several mixed CDs, as they were back then, in sort of 2009-10, to impress a, a then paramour. And I put that on it, and, and she had um, sort of Scottish ancestors history um in some parts of her family and um and she or scottish heritage and she absolutely loved that she uh and so after that all she got was cds full of scottish indie but um but she uh i remember her saying this is so good why have i never heard it before so so it's nice to hear my so- historical society again because in a, in a roundabout way they remind me of, of 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 times past even if those times didn't end well there was at least some good times so so yeah my historical society will always have a slightly special place in my heart now never mind pandemics i pioneered the whole working from home thing (laughs) when i was at my most prolific that's prolific is in inverted commas writing (laughs) weekly to deadlines this was a late 1980s for Mm. weekending on radio 4 the Mm. news headlines on bbc radio 2 spitting image on itv all at the same time plus the odd series of this and that which came along at the time Mm. so you might think my fingers were a blur bashing away at the typewriter this was an age before home computers yet I became an absolute master of whiling away the mornings before Mm. distracting myself further on a daily basis by making my luncheon just in time to watch Neighbours, which Mm. had just been introduced to the UK audience. It's a daily 22-minute fix of the world in Ramsey Street, irritating Helen Daniels, Scott and Charlene, Madge and Harold, Des and Daphne in particular. But then just as quickly, Daphne got killed off. I lost interest. And after maybe a year or so of Neighbours Addiction, I've never watched it again. And funnily enough, I've never watched a single episode of any soap Mm, opera since. Do you have any secret soap opera addictions, Jules? Well, I used to watch them when I was younger and they remind, again, happy memories. My nan used to come and stay and we would watch them all. She would often come and stay two or three weeks at a time. And when we, well, we'd watch all sorts of soaps. So we, we were sort of hipsters, Terence, in that we didn't, we did watch, I'd, she, I preferred Home and Away. She liked Neighbours. So we ended up watching them. I, I prefer the theme tune to Home and Away. I think yes. that's delicious. Mm. I, I, it is fantastic, isn't it? And I remember years, as, sort of, as, as a school child, a friend of mine at secondary school said, oh, Oh, I've got some music manuscript paper at home that we just hardly ever use and we're having to clear out. Would you like it? And I said, yes. And, and when I, it was done in one of those sort of notepads where you flick the front off. And and when I flicked the front, the, the front page off, there was only one page that had been used and it had been used to transcribe uh, the theme tunes over and away mm. in the front of it, which carbon Great. dates, carbon dates when I was at mm. school. But anyway, um, I digress. Um, as well as, so we watched the Australian ones, we watched the, the English ones, but what we really loved were the those 1970s and 80s Australian dramas that they used to show on ITV in the afternoon. So mm. we used to watch Sons and Daughters, um, Flying Doctors, um, A Country Practice, and there were loads of these. Wow. And okay. um, and well, the, uh, New Zealand did one called Shortland Street, which if you want banging theme tunes, I would re- recommend that you and our, our listeners pop off afterwards and listen to the, the theme tune to New Zealand medical drama Shortland Street. Street. That is possibly even better than Home and Away, Terence, in terms of excellent themes. Um, I don't really, soaps don't really factor into my life now. I suppose that I would watch them with my nan as a child. We always used to watch, weirdly, although I come from a southern family, so we should have watched EastEnders, we felt it was miserable and we very much enjoyed the humour of Coronation Street. I was a a very enthusiastic Hollyoaks watcher. I watched the first ever episode supervised with my mum. She clearly felt like Colleen Rooney that I shouldn't be unsupervised. (laughs) to watch uh, to watch Holly Eggs say so and I watched it 
well, of course, uh, Hollyoaks, much like Brookside and other programmes, realised that the way that you could grab people, even if people were too busy during the week, the omnibus at the weekends mm. where you would have them all at once. So I was an enthusiastic viewer of the Sunday morning Hollyoaks omnibus. Um when did I stop watching it? I, I was still watching it when I was a trainee solicitor, I think. And I was still living with my parents. And I would spend Sunday morning in bed with tea and toast watching Hollyoaks, the omnibus, and would not could not be roused until I watched that. And I knew it wasn't great, but I just quite enjoyed it. So I, I think I gave I think I gave up watching soaps when I moved out. I think there was no one else to prompt me to watch soaps. So I just didn't bother anymore and it's the same reason I mean I like the archers on the radio but I always feel that if you happen to not listen for a bit I know again you have the omnibus for that but I find that I just get distracted Terence and we've talked about this before we have so much to watch now so much so much choice so many options so many different ways we can entertain ourselves that I just can't be bothered with soaps. I'm mm. really bad. But I all, I'm, I, I'm a real completist. I hate not being able to understand what's going on. I hate the thought that I've missed something. As a result of which, I just get really frustrated because I really want to listen to The Archers. I forget about it for three weeks. And then all of a sudden, I don't know who anyone is. Or, or <laughs> and someone's not speaking to someone else, and I don't know why. And... I just I just don't have I just don't have the the interest in it anymore really. I get why people are really into them. I get that if you're someone that needs a routine that it is quite nice I suppose if you've been at work during the day. I know a lot of people that have more physical jobs that watch them simply because and I don't know why this is but they just say it's nice to know that when I finish my shift at this time I can come home and we'll cook tea and we'll watch Coronation Street or watch Emmerdale mm-hmm. or watch EastEnders. I can see why they sort of fit into a routine but it's it's very interesting that soaps always often, particularly in the case of Neighbours, which we're going to talk about, they're often as famous for the people that are not in them anymore than they are for themselves, <laughs> are they? So they act as a launch pad for big people. And then all of a sudden you 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 hear more about them than you do about the soaps really but i suppose the fact that soaps managed to launch so many big people makes me think well you know they must they must it's an incredible skill i think to be and and actors often say that there is nothing to train although there's a snobbery about them there's nothing Mm. to train you like being on a soap where you have to know your lines and they film like five or six episodes a week coronation street literally couldn't keep people at one point because they were they were having to work so hard and do so much and you don't have time to take multiple takes on soaps because they're because they're trying to they're trying to crash through filming enough episodes for six a week in some cases so so i they have a place and i hate people that are snobby about them but i'm just i just don't have the time or the sort of energy to engage with them anymore really which is a shame because some writing in them particularly in coronation street i've always found is very witty and very good so i do wonder if i'm missing out sometimes yeah i think one of the things that puts me off so proper these days is that commitment that you yes. talked about you have to put aside time every day and, and, and worse than that um, as you say, if you miss a few episodes, uh, you have to watch four or five hours yeah. in a binge omnibus edition to catch up. No, I can't be doing with that. Um, I, sp- <laughs> I suppose says <laughs> the, the man addicted to watching football on the television almost every day. And so the hammer as well, and your other property yes, you've been fond of. Football is more or less a soap opera. I have to confess, oh, right. as is. Uh, um, the, the the overseas program where they take people uh, to, to see houses overseas oh, that's yes. my current favorite well, sun, a place yeah. in the sun that's my favorite at the moment but, uh, what you were just talking about there about uh, filming so many so quickly it just reminded me back in the 60s and 70s mm. i did rather enjoy the desperately low production values of yeah. the itv soap opera crossroads yes filmed as cheaply as possible in fact I think I seem to remember it was filmed as live with mistakes and all the fumbles were left in. And yes, and I think that was that was um, of course Acorn Antiques by Victoria. Yes, with this delicious satire yeah. of it. And there's a lovely scene where Mrs. Overall is meant to be carrying a tray and is not carrying a tray, and she walks in and mm. mimes it. And someone says to the producer in the gallery, "Will people not notice?" And she goes, "Oh, the audience has never noticed that sort of thing. It's the it's the magic of television." And I I love that. As a satire, the idea that you know someone's hat falls off. They they filmed a live episode of EastEnders. Um, they do these occasionally now. The soaps are sort of a gimmick. They did a live episode of EastEnders, and I think it was the actress Joe Joyner walked in to address Ian Beale 
and called him by the actor's first name, yeah. Adam, instead of, and of course she sort of froze and everyone just kind of kept on going, really. I like the idea of them of them being, of them being live, actually, I must admit, although um, it reminds me of the episode where of The Simpsons where Homer voices a character in Itchy and Scratchy called Poochie, and the whole thing is rather ill-fated and doesn't work out, but he meets the woman that does the voices of Itchy and Scratchy in the studio, and he says, are we going live? And she says kindly to Homer, no, Homer. Cartoons don't tend to go out live. It's a ter- terrible strain on the animator's wrists, and I always <laughs> think of so It's a terrible strain on people if they have to do them live. But yes, cro- Crossroads low production value I think people, I think people enjoyed Crossroads. The same with El Dorado, BBC's mm. ill-fated soap of the of the 90s. I think people enjoy it for watching what might go wrong rather than anything else. I think. Referring back to Crossroads, I was very pleased uh, to learn this week that Russell T Davis has written mm-hmm. a drama. Um, a three-part oh, yes. drama, in fact, about the life of Noel Gordon. Yes. Starring Helena Bonham Carter as no. Noel Gordon. And it goes into production this year. I look forward that to seeing brilliant. it. Yeah, absolutely. And and sad news, Neighbours is apparently almost possibly going to be no more. Yes. You're, you're, obviously, it couldn't, never recovered from you not watching it anymore. But um, I think that's, that's what did it, really. I think yeah. they just thought, well, there's no point going on. Well, what, know, what, what an interesting, well, quite, well, how can any of us go on when, you, when you're not interested anymore? Exactly. I, I look forward to that day in my life. But anyway, <laughs> we, and when we, when we're looking at this article, mm. so, so it's made by um, Network 10, the Australian broadcaster. Mm. So Channel 5 have announced that they're dropping neighbours. Um, there's lots interesting going on at Channel 5 at the moment in terms of them picking up programmes from other other broadcasters that don't want them anymore. Uh, there's, a, there's a real vision at Channel 5 at the moment. So they feel that Neighbours is not part of that. And I hadn't realised, and I think I read this in The Guardian, that, um, that Neighbours is not a big deal in Australia anymore. It's really not very popular mm. there at all. It's rather yeah. it sort of had its day. And the only thing keeping it going was the broadcasting money coming from Britain. And yes. the fact that that plug's been pulled means that Neighbours has no market. And I was rather saddened by that, really. It, it almost felt like no one in England watching EastEnders anymore, but people in people in Canada being really keen on it. It was it felt it was a really strange. I just hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah, they, but some um, soap operas do get tired, don't mm-hmm. they? And you can't keep refreshing the um, cast. And, and some of these have a particularly quick turnaround as mm-hmm. well. And I think you, you it, it's a lot to do. It's all to do, of course, as we were saying earlier about the addiction of um, viewer engagement. Yes. And absolutely. if you if that starts to fail and people aren't bothered about missing a few uh episodes then yeah. really you, you know your time's up and also interestingly in terms of producing big stars which i think is the sign that a soap is he- a soap is healthy if it's producing people that go on to big careers reading this article of all these famous people that have been in neighbors the most recent big star they could come up with was margot robbie who left a decade ago there you go yeah yeah that's it you know you, you um you find with with, with um, it's, it's it's a very difficult nuance because mm. you might say, well, you know, neighbours, it's just built around one road, Ramsey Street, and yeah. the Lassiters and so on, and you think, oh, well, it's very tired. But then you think, you know, Coronation Street is just built around one road and a pub and a and a and a, a corner shop, really, but isn't they, it? They so, have expanded that universe because there is, of mm. course, one of my favouritely named uh, establishments on TV, the Knicker Factory, called Underworld, <laughs> yes, where lots of, of that lots of the stuff and i think that that actually see that's a semi-serious point that if you if you're doing that sort of thing what new situations can you can you create or what new environments can you create within within an atmosphere i remember there was a better buys the supermarket that was i think curly watts and reg holdsworth were were working there i seem to and i think raquel did as well originally so so there is a way i think to to introduce introduce new establishments and 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 trying to new situations to make them work but i think you're just very very dependent on having top quality writing and i 
think that a lot of long running programs, not just soaps, again, my beloved Simpsons suffer from the same problems that the first mm. 10 series of the Simpsons were out of this world brilliant because they had a writer's room that was a bunch of, you know, prodig- I can never pronounce that word, but incredibly sort of prodigy level talents of people. And there are only so many times you can refresh it. If you're going to have, if you're going to have a, pro- a, a program that has that many episodes, you need a big writing staff. And there's only so many times you can refresh writing staff before you lose the essence of what that show is really. And, and I think that the Simpsons has had some good moments, but not been of the same standard for, you know, for most of the time after that. And you could argue with soaps that you need the standard of writing to be spot on and, you know, or obviously good acting as well, but you need the, the standard of writing to be so good to keep people still engaged that it is an, it is a challenge to keep that up over time. Very much so. I think uh, that is the absolute uh, key to it, whether you can achieve that or or, or not. Thanks very much for listening this week. I echo the sentiments of my excellent colleague. Thank you for being along with us. Even more addictive on the radio than (laughs) the Archers is Juliet's smooth sailing. You are too kind. I always enjoy your uh, your smile on this podcast. It's great. I do occasionally listen to them during the week to G myself up. Um, I Yeah, I do this little show called Smooth Sailing. It's on a Sunday evening on my Mixer channel, which is mixlr.com forward slash Juliet hyphen Harris. It'll go to mixlr.com and search my name. If you go to my page, there's a little button that says Showreel. If you punch that, you get to see all and listen to all of the previous shows that I've done, um, of which there are a, a boggling amount over the last two years it anyone would think we didn't have much else to do but anyway um you can enjoy the world of yacht rock the world of easy listening smooth pop mor stuff that is genuinely uh, sort of relaxing and uplifting and that's what we what we what i trying to do on that so if that's your sort of thing then do pop along i'd love to have you to play us out one of the great unsung bands of the brit pop era I'm I'm glad you agree with me, Terence. I must admit, I I saw this band, um, 2018. I think I worked it out the other day. I went to a venue that I think is now called Chalk. It was called the Haunt back in those days, and I went with a friend of mine who said. Oh, Sleeper have reunited. And this was before, because Sleeper are a going concern again now. They're having successful records. But um, in those, the back then, it was one of their first reunion gigs, I think. And so we went to see them. And the support acts were My Life Story, which is basically, as I put it to someone afterwards, Jake Shillingford and a load of kids. And it turns out one of them was actually one of his kids. So uh, so I was I was more right than I, that I could even ever imagine. There was some of the original band, although I noticed that two of his band also appeared in Sleeper, which which made me think that they were perhaps supplementary musicians. But anyway, I remember listening to their set and my friend said to me halfway through, this is very much of its time, isn't it? And I went, yeah, it is a bit. Not not, not much of it had dated that kindly. Having said that, they finished their set with this, as everybody knew they would, because it was their one genuinely outstanding song. And it was a joy to watch them play it live, because, of course, they made everybody shout the numbers along with them. And it was, it was a, a really joyful moment. I think this is a song that manages to be sort of truly grand and a bit a bit pretentious and a bit melodramatic but also doesn't take itself too seriously but yet takes itself seriously enough I think it's it's a song that always brings me great joy and as we talk about the love songs that we like I think this really captures you know the the early point where you're very enthusiastic and you're when you're telling your friends about your new your new paramour you're full of brilliant things about them and how fantastic they are and uh, this captures that really nice i think so this is uh, my life story and 12 reasons why i love her
have been listening to a Parish Council production. <laughs>